Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, how to be a happy single parent, how to thrive following one of life's biggest transitions. Fiona Brennan will be giving advice to one of your emails around anxiety and women's aid on the importance of their two into you campaign. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, it was a bit of a survival week, I'd have to say. I still haven't managed to shake that virus fully, not to mention giving my body any chance to rest and recover. But September has been a jam-packed month and the finale happened earlier this week when I flew to Spain with my sister and her pals for a weekend of absolute fun and frolics. Regular listeners have been on the roller coaster with me of my sister moving away. So to have her back for the weekend at my side, both of us child and responsibility free, was a real gift. We were in the sunshine, dancing around beach clubs all day and into the night, laughing and messing with the girls. And it's health and wellness at its best in many ways. We often forget about the importance of joy, letting loose and just a bit of messing. We really do need it in our lives. However, the payback this week has been the blocked nose is back, the achy joints. Um, but I've rumbled on as best I could. I decided to try and recover. So I gave the gym a miss this week, focused on good food, early nights, I miss breathing properly. Um, And there's all this talk now about the importance of taping your mouth shut at night based on evidence by the author James Nestor. Now, he has been on the show before and I really want to have him back on this piece of information because it's trending in the wellness world. And so anytime I've woken up all stuffed up with my mouth a foot open, this theory has not helped the situation. His book is called Breath, The New Science of Lost Art, if you want to check it out. I'll wait until I get my nose back first. Tell you what, though, the payback I've had this week was well worth it for the fun I had at the weekend. You can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com. So the Shona Project speak to young women about what it means to be their best selves. And they have Shine Festival coming on the 11th and 12th of October. And part of the message that they give across to young women is... Around the Two Into You project, which is headed up by Women's Aid. And I'm joined now by Mary Hayes, who is the project lead on the campaign. Mary, you're very welcome. Thank you so much. I've been at Chine Festival and I saw that there was an area for girls to go to and and get information. I'm, I'm quite familiar with the Two Into You project. But for those who don't know about it, tell us a little bit about the message you're trying to impart. So Two Into You, it's a campaign by Women's Aid, who are the National Domestic Violence Service in Ireland. And it's aimed at young people, so uh, young women kind of in particular, um, between 18 and 25. So our aim is really to teach young people about the difference between healthy and unhealthy relationships to teach them about the red flags of abuse that they can look out for in their own relationship, in their friend's relationship, and also to provide support if they are worried about their own relationship. So we have a dedicated website, twointoyou.ie, and that's really our main resource with the campaign, um, where there's loads of information, a free and confidential chat service built with young people in mind. But really, it's all about empowering young people with the information they need to have happy and healthy relationships. And I think we have a sort of a stereotype of how an abusive relationship will look, that there's going to be 
physical abuse. And of course, that is an abusive relationship. But there are other red flags for people to look out for. Can you talk us through some of those? Absolutely. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that abuse can't happen in young relationships. You know, when we think about things like domestic violence, domestic abuse, we think about it happening to older people, you know, married women, living with a partner, with children, things like that. But we know from our own research and, you know, almost 50 years supporting survivors that abuse is actually very common um, in younger relationships and it's very common against young women. Um, It can even happen, you know, in your very first relationship. So again, you know, the assumption is is that there has to be a bruise or a mark there for it to be classed as abuse. But actually emotional abuse is by far the most common form of abuse against young women. So that can include things like being put down, being criticised, um, being intimidated or generally controlled, you know, telling you what you can or can't do, um, telling you what to wear, Complaining if you spend time with your friends, you know, trying to isolate you, cut you off from um, people that you want in your life, things like that. Uh, But I mean, there's a number of different ways that abuse can happen. It doesn't just have to be physical. It doesn't just have to be emotional. It can be sexual, you know, being coerced forced or guilted into doing things you're not ready for sexually. Um, It can also happen online. Uh, Online abuse is extremely common um, against young women. Um, So you don't even have to be in the same place as your partner. You know, you could be at home in your room, but they're bombarding you with text messages, likes and comments and uh, DMs on all of your social media accounts and really a reminder that they're there and they're watching all the time. And that can feel really, really um, frightening and really stressful. And I think the term too into you is, is really smart because it really does describe it because in some t- in some instances that you've mentioned there, there's obvious manipulation and there's obviously some dark behaviour going on. But others could almost be, be twisted that this is complimentary and, you know, this person is constantly wanting to be around me. That's why he doesn't want me to see my friends. He's, he's mad about me. That's why he's constantly asking me to, to do things. And mm-hmm. I, I think we need to reframe what it means to be in a relationship that you're not duty bound to somebody that your feelings and emotions count and there should be equality and a, a, an atmosphere and a culture where you can speak up and advocate for yourself. Absolutely. And the whole reason why the campaign is called Too Into You is because, you know, if someone is into you, it can be exciting, especially at the start of a relationship. But if they're too into you, um, you know, and they're putting you under pressure to move faster in the relationship than you're ready for or to do things that you don't want to do, um, then that can be a real red flag. So one of the key examples of how abuse can start is love bombing, um, similar to what you've uh, mentioned there around, you know, these kind of grand gestures of love and attention and affection, um, which can feel lovely, especially if it's your first time going out with someone. Um, So, you know, they might take you out to dinner, buy you gifts, pay for the cinema, uh, tell you, you know, you're my soulmate. I love you. You know, want to be exclusive very early on. This can all feel lovely. But if you feel like you have to reciprocate those feelings before you're ready to, if you feel like you're under pressure to do things that you don't want to because they've been so nice to you, you know, that would be a real red flag that they don't respect your boundaries. Because at the end of the day, this is what um, this comes down to. It's it's respect. Do they respect uh, your opinions? Do they respect your needs in the relationship? Um, do they respect your need for 
you know, time alone, time with your friends? Do they respect your decisions? Because in a relationship, there has to be equality. Um, and that comes through to all aspects of life. You know, that will... Um, explain, you know, if you can go to college, if you can go to work, if you can spend time with particular friends. Um, so if your partner is, you know, saying, well, I don't like you hanging out with those friends, they're a bad influence on you, or why do you have to work all the time? You know, I wish you'd spend more time with me. That is really controlling behaviour and it shows that they don't respect, you know, the decisions that you've made around your own life. And do you think there's a conversation to be had around the emphasis we put on a romantic relationship? And I, I mean... That's not to say it's not an incredible part of of life to find somebody to share your life with. And there's so many positives that can come from that. But to place all our eggs in that one basket, you know, that's something we need to consider ourselves as well as the manipulation of other people. I was with a group of of girls only at the, the weekend and we were talking about two who have been single for a while and they were talking through their checklist. And, you know, there was a bit of banter about how they were expecting a lot. And, and the conversation came up that is there really one person that ticks all the boxes? Are you not supposed to get your boxes ticked from all the people in your life? That yes, your your romantic partner is going to tick some of the boxes, but so are your friends, so are your family, so are your work colleagues. It doesn't have to all go to that one person in life. Absolutely. And that's why it's so important, you know, to maintain things like your friendships, your relationships outside the relationship, to maintain your independence, you know, continue your hobbies, um, going to school, going to work, to college, things like that. Because when the relationship becomes the only thing in your life, that's when it can become really isolating. Because if things then become bad, um, you might feel like there's no escape. You know, you've nothing outside the relationship. Uh, Maybe your partner has said, you know, that your friend's don't like you, they don't want to spend time with you and that they're the only one who'll who'll really love you. That can feel really, really isolating and feel like there's no escape from the relationship. And you will get things from all different areas in your life. And I think, again, with the campaign, you know, we're trying to teach people about the difference between healthy and unhealthy relationships. And a big part of that is the healthy side. You know, we want young people to know what... um, a healthy relationship really looks and feels like so that they can, you know, make those decisions for themselves because everyone, you know, people want to be in a relationship. There's nothing wrong with being in a relationship or seeking love or affection, you know. It's a lovely thing. But to do it in a way that's in line with your own boundaries and to do that, you need to know what your boundaries are, you know. So um, I think the education piece is, is a big piece of this. And what is the advice then for somebody who finds themselves in a relationship like that, what are the steps you take Mm. to get out of it or create better boundaries? Um, Well, first of all, I think, you know, it can be quite frightening and quite distressing to realise that, you know, your relationship might be unhealthy or abusive. Um, So the first thing I always say is to, you know, be gentle with yourself and to remember that it's not your fault. Um, you know, the abusive behaviour is only the fault of your partner who's doing that to you. Even if they've said, you know, that it's your fault, even if they've said that they only act that way because they love you or because you've done a certain thing or acted a certain way, it is never your fault. The second thing to remember is that, um, you know, you don't need to do anything that you're not comfortable with. You know, people might say, well, you just need to leave the relationship straight away. You will know what's safest for you. So, you know, try to listen to your gut if um, that voice is still there within you. And hopefully there's still a piece of that. 
uh, because it can become eroded over time in an abusive relationship. Um, then to remember that you're not alone. There are so many supports out there for you. So um, at the 2into.ie website, there is a chat service there. It's completely free and confidential. We don't ask you your name, your age, um, you know, who, where you're from, your gender, your sexuality, nothing like that. Uh, it's just a space for you to talk about your relationship, to talk through what you're going through, what you're feeling. And then we can offer you information on your options. Um, And that's available daily. And we also have the Women's Aid uh, National Free Phone Helpline and that's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's also available in over 200 languages as well. Um, But if you're unsure and, you know, those feel like um, a very big step, there's a relationship quiz at the website, uh, 2 So there's just 10 short questions there. It's completely anonymous and it just kind of is a litmus test of where your relationship is at. So it can tell you, you know, if there's things that you need to be looking out for, there's things, um, you know, that are really clear red flags. And then there's indications of healthy relationships as well. So it's a really nice way to just test your relationship. And I tell everyone, you know, friends, family, um, to do this quiz. Um, It's a really valuable resource. But do visit the website. There is so much helpful information and uh, support there that, you know, you don't need to go through this alone. Yeah. And do you think sometimes a conversation is what needs to be had as opposed to leaving the relationship altogether? Because I imagine people's feelings and emotions get tangled up, particularly when you talk about that honeymoon period where they got locked in. And I've witnessed friends, maybe not necessarily in abusive relationships but in relationships that clearly aren't working out but they're constantly trying to get back Mm. to how it was in the beginning and that initial spark. Is that what kind of jumbles up the the common sense and stops us listening to that gut feeling and perhaps ignoring the red flags. Yeah, and that's what makes it so difficult to leave often because their partner will say, you know, I'll change. I only act like that when I'm, you know, drunk or when I'm stressed. You know, I promise I'll change. You know, that's not the real me. But often these, you know, very often these are empty promises. The only way for the abuse to end is to leave the abusive partner because it is their fault for how they are acting. It's not your fault. Um, You know, often there's this assumption that, you know, they can be fixed or saved or tamed. But again, that puts the responsibility on you. But the responsibility is on them because they're the one acting in an abusive and a controlling way. Um, And that's why, you know, again, love bombing can be so dangerous because it kind of sets this precedent at the start that, you know, I'm this lovely person. um, You know, my family is impressed by you, you know, Um, I'm really kind and give you gifts and attention, but they use it almost as a smokescreen later on for mistreating you. Um, But it's very rare that the abuse um, will end. It's it's can be very tricky. Now that's not to say at the start of a relationship you can't talk to your partner. You know it's it is good. To, open communication is so important in relationships, and you need to be able to talk to your partner and raise things with them. But if you feel afraid to approach them or how they'll react, or they completely shut you down, or they gaslight you and say, "I don't know what you're talking about," you know that never happened. You're being so dramatic. Then that would be a big red flag that they don't respect you. They don't respect your opinions, your boundaries, things like that. Yeah. And there are plenty of people who will. You don't have to take a second rate relationship just to be in one. So talk to me about the relationship then with the Shona Project. They do incredible work going into schools and talking to young girls and just really implanting these ideas in their heads Mm. um, about 
their life and, and, and empowering them to become advocates for themselves in all areas of life, not just within romantic relationships. You'll be at Shine Festival on the 11th of 12th of October. So what are the messages you're getting to those school going girls? Yeah, the Shona Project have been such a huge supporter of the Tune to You campaign for the last couple of years. Um, Tammy is an absolute force and we love working with her. Um, we were at Shine Festival last year and it was incredible just to get in front of, you know, hundreds of girls in school to tell them about the campaign, to tell them that, you know, there are resources and information there so that, again, they can empower themselves around this information. Because, um, you know, from our own research, we know that unfortunately, um, abuse happens most commonly to young women under the age of 18. So in Ireland, one in five young women um, and one in 11 young men will have been abused before the age of 25. And for the uh, younger cohort, or for the group of young women, um, the majority of them, the abuse will actually happen before they turn 18. So when they would be considered as minors. So it's really important that we teach, you know, young people um, while they're, you know, in their first relationships, while they're learning about all this stuff, while they're seeing it, you know, on TV, in pop culture on things like Love Island you know we want to be uh, embedding those positive messages in them early on and that's why it's so fantastic that we get to um, be present at Shine and do work with Shona um, because we need to get in front of uh, young people to talk about this um, but they are so engaged they, whenever they come up to our stand whenever they see us at um any event, you know, young people, they want to learn about this stuff because, you know, they're not learning about it at the moment in school um, and they really are dying for this information because they want to know what the difference between a healthy and unhealthy relationship is. They don't know where to find it, but we have that information. So we're delighted to get in front of them to, to talk to them about it. And I feel like mobile phones um, and social media have really changed the landscape because we're constantly available, you can be tracked, your location can be seen if you're on Snapchat or there's other apps that can do that. There can be constant text messages. You can be called on a night out with the girls and, you know, somebody can come and collect you because they know where you are. It's really made that abuse that little bit more accessible, hasn't it? And it's really normalised that that abuse. Um, I think what the online space has done, it's really um, allowed abuse to continue even when you're not uh, with your partner. So it's become kind of a space for other uh, types of abuse to happen. So, for example, you know, uh, the bombarding of messages, um, you know, commenting on photos and videos and that constant reminder that your partner is there and always watching. And, you know, from our research and um, our work with survivors, they've told us that, you know, there's this uh, real sense of not being able to escape it. And it's really, really exhausting. Um, and another piece around the online space is kind of the normalisation of, you know, sharing of intimate images. Um, and, you know, while that can be done consensually within a relationship and that's totally fine, um, I think the knowledge of young people around the laws now, uh, we need to do a little bit of work around that because it is now a crime in Ireland, not just to share an intimate image or video of someone without their consent, to threaten to share that image or video is also a crime because what it says is, you you know, if you break up with me or if you don't get back back with me, I'm going to send that nude you sent me into my uh, WhatsApp group of friends. Um, so really, that is very coercive behaviour. Um, it's saying if you don't act this way or fall in line, there will be consequences. And that's now a crime in Ireland. So we're really trying to push that uh, through the website and through the campaign. 
Um, but yeah, the online space, it can be uh, obviously dangerous, but there are also some real um, benefits to it. You know, it's been a massive help with us, uh, with the campaign, being able to platform voices, yeah. being able to platform survivor voices. We have um, some amazing uh, two and two ambassadors who have survived abuse. Um, so Juliana Sheil is one of them. Jodie Duggan is another one of them. Um, and they've really used the space to share their own stories so that other young girls who are going through this, they know that there is hope after an abusive relationship. Um, you know, that it's not uh, the be all and end all, that there is life after it and that there are supports available. And I feel like as well as the education and empowerment piece, this being a health and wellness show, I often talk about the importance of reflection, of really taking the time to tune in to what it is that we want, to what it is that's important to us, to what's going on, what is our gut feeling mm. telling us. And that's a really important skill to try and and cultivate so that we're taking the time to really listen to what's going on for us and, and, and what is important to us. And that's where we create the boundaries and that's where we know it's it, it, it's time to find out more information, to go on to that tech service. Absolutely. You really have to pause and, and we're always on, we're always scrolling, we're always distracted. It's so important, isn't it, to, to really tune into ourselves. Yeah, that gut feeling is huge. You know, that is the voice that's telling you what feels safe, what doesn't feel safe. And often it will come early on in the relationship. And if it does we're asking people, you know, listen to it. It's there for a reason because unfortunately, the longer and longer you're in a relationship where you're being controlled or manipulated or gaslit, the quieter and quieter that voice gets. And that is the voice that is keeping you safe at the end of the day. So, you know, tap into that. If you're a parent, teach your kids about it. You know, it is such an important um, thing that's there for young people. Uh, you know, even if they don't talk to anyone, if they are able just to listen uh, to, you know, that feeling in their tummy, um, hopefully, you know, they can catch something early on before things get much worse. And the Shona Project, empowering and inspiring the girls of Ireland. You can find out more on their Instagram at shona.ie, on X, known, formerly known as Twitter, at shona.ie. Facebook is the Shona Project and the website is shona.ie. To interview.ie is where you can find out more information. As Mary said, there are lots of tech services and that relationships quiz that you can take. And you can also call Women's Aid 1-800-341-900. But Mary Hayes, To Interview Project Lead with Women's Aid. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. Coming up after the break, Fiona Brennan brings her therapy from the couch to the studio and will be answering one of your emails about living with chronic anxiety. Alive and kicking. On News Talk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, Fiona Brennan is a clinical hypnotherapist and best selling author. She's on a mission to make therapy more accessible through her online courses, her live events, her books, and she's also featuring on this show once a month to answer your emailed issues. If you have something going on in your life that you would like some advice on, you can anonymously email aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. And as we said last month when we launched this with Fiona, if you email something in, chances are there are going to be so many people listening who are going through something very similar. So not only will you get help from your email, but you'll also be helping others. So that email address is aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. And Fiona Brennan joins me in studio now. Fiona, you're very welcome back. Thanks a million, Claire. So happy to be here as always. How has your month been? 
It's been really good. Um, I would say I found myself more emotional this month, um, which can be quite illuminating. Um, and when I say emotional, I mean both positive and and more challenging. I don't even like to say negative because I think it's important we don't judge our emotions in, in that sense. So um, I've been really just allowing myself to, to kind of go with it. And it's very very liberating, you know, the ability to be able to to just witness and observe and allow emotion to be there. But then again, without being completely consumed by it. So I can still do everything I need to do, my work, my, you know, my life, looking after my family, etc., all of the things. Um, but that's a, a key point that I, I, I work with with my clients is, is that ability to be agile with our emotions, to be flexible with them, to allow them to to be there without trying to control them. And then at the same time, and it's such a fine art, to be honest, Claire, it's like you're not trying to control them, but you're also not being controlled by them. And that's something that you know, comes from a lot of of self love, self care, self compassion, experience, um, and acknowledging progress within oneself. That's also another really important thing to do for positive mental health. To to be able to say, yeah, you know, there was a time where I would have just been swept away by this. It would have been pervasive. It might have led into conflict with family or stress. And now it's just something that almost like the sea, you know, that it's it can be wavy one day and it can be calm the next. And it's all it's all okay. It's all part of being human. And it's great to hear you say that because people will think, you know, oh, Fiona's got it all together. And I mean, of course, you do have the tools and the skill set and know yourself and have done a lot of work in that area. Mm. Um, but it's not all roses. There's ups, there's downs, there's ins, there's outs. And that is part of being human. So even though you live a very conscious life, you do work that you're really passionate about, you have a beautiful family life. And I, I notice you do a lot of travel and, you know, there are things that you think I wouldn't, I'd like to do that. And you just go and, and make them happen. But it doesn't mean that you don't also experience a myriad of emotions along the way. Of course, absolutely. And, you know, I think we've got to be careful with that, don't we? You know, especially with Instagram and social media and all of that, you know, this idea of conveying perfection, because it's when people put pressure on themselves to to either have the perfect life, which of course we know doesn't exist, um, that it creates the very thing that they don't want. And that is anxiety. Um, that is, you know, all of these toxic behaviours such as comparison, envy, etc. And really, the ultimate liberation is is to be at peace and at ease with yourself. You know, that's just... You know, for me, that's the greatest success of all. <laughs> you mentioned another emotion there a moment ago, self-compassion. Um, mm. And that's something you're focusing in on, on your your new course that's launching today. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yes, I'm unlocking the um, secrets, if you like, of self-compassion. Uh, it's a live online training course. So I love to actually work with people in the moment, if you like, rather than a, a pre-record. And essentially, it's based on the work of Kristen Neff, who is an international, um, who is really the global leader in, in self-compassion. So I'll be taking a lot of her principles and teaching people 
how to implement them into their daily lives. What I've seen over my own experience, my extensive clinical experience, is that cultivating self-compassion is is so fundamental. It's something that doesn't come naturally or easily to most of us because we tend to, as soon as we feel something uncomfortable, as soon as we make a mistake, as soon as we feel overwhelmed, tired, exhausted, that's when we actually need the compassion. And compassion simply means the ability to offer kindness to ourselves the way that we would to a friend. And that's when we tend to deprive ourselves of it. That's when we tend to be harder on ourselves. We tend to be critical. And what I have noticed with people and, you know, my clients over the years who've, who've made really good progress is that they, they become highly skilled at offering compassion to their to themselves. And it's a little bit like self-love, you know, that when we're in that place of, of really unconditional love towards ourselves, we're in a really strong place to offer it to others. So the world becomes more compassionate and we need a compassionate world uh, when we practice it first to ourselves so that we have it there. It's like a resource. It's like money in the bank, you know, that you have it there and you're able then to extend it out to to the people you love, to everyone around you benefits from it. Yeah. And I think sometimes people think it's a really nice notion, but not something they have time for. But I don't think they realise the impact of not having self-compassion with yourself is having or that negative self-talk and that constantly berating yourself that sometimes you don't even notice you're doing it. I remember it was one of the women's magazines and they got the journalist to have one of those little clickers, you know, to count people and she had to hit it every time she had a negative thought. And it was well up into the hundreds. We have like 70,000 thoughts a day and it's Mm. thought that the majority of them are going to be negative. So yeah, to grab control, throw a bit more self-compassion in there can only be a good thing. I want to get to our email from our listener. Um, And again, if you want to send one in, it's alive and kicking at newstalk.com. And they say, is it possible to recover from chronic anxiety completely? I ask because I first felt chronic anxiety in about 2020. I was age 40 during the COVID lockdown when my second child was about eight months old. Prior to that, the only anxiety I had was being slightly worried prior to maybe a job interview or a presentation, etc., Since 2020, I've had three bouts of prolonged anxiety. I recovered each time with therapy. However, I wonder, is it possible to recover completely in the long term with work and self-growth or am I doomed to have bouts until I reach old age? Nobody wants to to give me an answer on this and doctors tell me everybody has anxiety. We always have it. You just have to manage it like angina or diabetes. But I'm not talking about everyday worries everyone has. I'm asking them about bouts of unexplained anxiety brought about by excess stress. And I think we can see from this emailer, like they've done a lot of work. They've been to the GP, they've gone for therapy, they've, you know, really leaned into some self-work and self-growth. And and there is part of us that goes, I'm doing the work. Why is, is this not now fixed? Tell us a little yeah, bit about your yeah, answer. It's a really good point. And it's something, again, I've seen so often. So when this uh, listener says, is it possible to recover? I would say yes, it is. Completely is actually where we're going to start to hit walls. Because the idea that we can completely do anything is again back to pressure, right? So a good way to think about this is, Claire, imagine one of your lovely children 
is going through a, a bout of anxiety, okay? And they come to you and they say, Mom, I'm really struggling with school. I feel overwhelmed. I'm stressed. And you say, sweetheart, I'm so sorry to hear that. You obviously have a lot of compassion. You want to help. You want to understand. And then you say to them at the end of that, you say, okay, I don't want to see this again. Right. So can you imagine the impact that that has? Right. So all the good work, if you like, is now kind of crumbling away because your child is going to feel, well, so anxious because I now have been given instruction that this is the last time I'm, I'm actually able to, to go through like something like this and have support. So we do this to ourselves. We, we do the work, as you say, and then we say, OK, that's done. Right. Almost like as if it were painting a house and the house is never going to need to be painted again. Um, it does need to be painted again. And you need to really sustain positive mental health. You need to change your relationship with anxiety. You need to take away the pressure that you're never going to feel like that again. Just like I said at the top of this um, interview, you know, the idea that I can feel anxious or stressed or or overwhelmed with all my experience, et cetera, et cetera. But what's wonderful is that what might have been like even a few hours becomes a few minutes, right? So that it, it becomes so much less intrusive in your life. You're able to actually have the tools, the patience, the compassion and the acceptance to navigate that. So this is, there's a lot of promise here, I would say, because when the um, listener shared the idea that it's easier to navigate, right? So she's she noticed her third bout of, of anxiety. And I think it's really important to acknowledge just how debilitating anxiety is. You know, Eckhart Tolle calls it the pain body, that you have like a, a pain body attack. And that's what it is. Your whole body feels pain. Your muscles are tight. You'll have headaches. It's a very physical thing. So, the idea that this lady, this person is starting to navigate it more easily, that indicates to me great optimism and hope because I, not just I believe, I know personally and professionally that we can move from someone who is highly anxious into a much calmer, more conscious being, that that is possible. Yes, 100% what we know about the brain, neuroplasticity, we are capable of change. It's it's magnificent. It's very hopeful. However, it's taking this pressure away that it's going to be something with a full stop. Because life isn't like that. It's it's a continual journey, right? We go through different challenges depending on our age, depending on our circumstances. Maybe like this, you know, a listener shared she just had a baby, so there's something going on there. Again, possibly that it arose during the first lockdown in COVID. A lot of people started to feel anxiety for the first time. But we've got to question that and say, well, maybe it's the first time that there was space for what was already there to start to emerge. OK, so anxiety, it, it has a purpose. It has a reason. And we've got to honour that. We've got to understand it. Um, Marie Curie once said that nothing in life is to be feared, it is to be understood. So I do feel that when we understand our anxiety, when we take that time, just like if you go back to the idea of sitting there with your child, listening, understanding, not trying to fix it, not trying to put a deadline of when it has to go away, um, 
you know, you can see how that is going to be very, very healing and your child will feel comfortable and will know that should it arise again, that it's really not the end of the world, that that you're still going to be there. And that's really what a lot of self-compassion is about. It's about being there for yourself when you need it most. Uh, yes, in the good times, but also in those times where you are suffering and when we are emotionally suffering, all of all of us are suffering physically, mentally. It it's, has such a, a pervasive impact. And what we want to do always is to allow it to dissipate um, in, it, in its own way. And that's very, very healing. It's really so good for us. You know, it just it's good for us physically. It's good for us in every way. Well, I certainly picked up some gems there today. Fiona, as always, thank you so, so much. And to our emailer, if you would like some advice from Fiona when she comes in next month, you can email aliveandkicking at newstalk.com and you can find out more about Fiona's work um, and also the self-compassion training course, which has launched today. You can go to thepositivehabit.com. Fiona Brennan, thank you very much. Thank you, Claire. Coming up after the break, How to Be a Happy Single Parent, the book hoping to help you after one of life's biggest transitions. Alive and Kicking on News Talk. Now, my next guest, Zoe Desmond, found life as a single parent a challenge until she began to reach out to others in a similar position. So with one of the single mums she met along the way, Rebecca Cox, they've written How to Be a Happy Single Parent, hoping to help others to traverse this life transition. And Zoe joins me on the line now. Zoe, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So how does it feel to be at this stage of project book. It's getting into people's hands. You're coming on and talking about it as an actual real thing. I know. Well, it feels really surreal um, because, you know, the first time the book ever came up in conversation was between my co-author Rebecca Cox and I. We had met through my app Frollo, my app for single parent Frollo. And we said one time, you know, there needs to be a book for this there needs to be a book that like helps you get through all of the like you know really challenging parts that you have to try and figure out and navigate and you know almost like a fast track um because you just yeah there's you know there's 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 so many kind of learnings that, that happen along the way and things you have to try and figure out and try and navigate to get to the other side um so that's where the idea came from so it feels really exciting um, to be at this point now and just ready to get it out there in the world. And hopefully, you know, hopefully it will be very, very helpful to lots of single parents. And there are many different types of single parents which you go through in the book. Could you talk us through them now? Sure. So, you know, obviously there is the, you know, separated single parents, you know, people whose, you know, relationships ended. Um, There is solo parents. There's solo parents by choice. You know, there's people who are co-parenting, navigating the dynamics of co-parenting. There's a thing called parallel parenting, which is when two parents are both involved in the kids' lives, but, you know, have very limited boundaries, communication between each other because things need to be that way. Um, And, you know, then there's widowed parents as well. There's solo adopters. So there's a whole ton of types of single parenting situations and you know some of those 
will be, you know, it will be really helpful for the different parts of the book that will be really, really helpful for specific um, types of single parenting situations. And then there's some parts of the book that will be really helpful for, for all of those. So we kind of, you know, want the book to be an easy guide where you can kind of flick through to the chapters that are relevant for you and, you know, pick it up when you need to and put it down and pick it up again. And um, yeah. Yeah, because parenting just changes. You get used to one level and it just levels up without you. So you're right, it'll be one that you'll pick up and, and put down or go back to. And tell us a little bit about your experience then with becoming a single parent. Yours was through a breakup, which is tough anyway to consider life without somebody you've been with for a long time. But it must really add an extra layer to be still parents together um, and to think about being a parent on your own. Definitely. So when I, when my relationship with my son's dad broke down, it was six years ago. My son is now seven, so he was only one at the time. And it was a very, very challenging time. And, you know, I had, was navigating, you know, still being a relatively new mom um, for the first time. I was dealing with, you know, the, the end of the relationship. I was also grieving the loss of the family unit that I'd always wanted to have. I was feeling very overwhelmed. I was feeling lonely in my new kind of single parent sort of situation. You know, I've got great friends and family, but I didn't know any other single parents at the time. So so that in itself felt very, very isolating. And that's what led me to, to creating uh, Frollo, my app for single parents. So, um, you know, and, and, and I have to say, you know, my kind of experience now versus then are night and day you know it's kind of having that community through Frollo and you know the access to guidance support you know positivity sort of reassurance connection with other single parents like-minded single parents and you know it's been an unbelievable game changer and um and and kind of Rebecca and I really, really want to give people all of the kind of nuggets that we've learned some the hard way um, throughout the last, you know, several years of being single parents, but also with the help of some really amazing expert advice from lots of different experts and um, single parents that relate to all the different single parenting types in the book as well. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you face as a single parent? I mean, I know we've touched on some of them there, the the isolation, grieving the loss of the family unit, the way you thought it it might be. What are some of the the challenges that come up time and time again? So some of the challenges that come up for single parents are overwhelm because, you know, dealing with, you know, when when your kids or kid or kids are on your watch, you know, it's, it's you've got a lot going on. They're your sole responsibility. Um, then there's you know finances as well. Then there's childcare. Then there is feeling you know feeling lonely and, and isolated. You know, which is one of the one of the big reasons that I I set up Frollo. You know, then it's if a single parent is feeling like they might be ready to dip their toe back into the dating pool how does that look like how does that work you know how do you you know when do you introduce somebody to the kids for the first time so you know there's holidays as a single parent there's navigating things like Christmas and 
all of that stuff. So there's a there's a whole ton of things that we sort of lay out in in the book, and um, to really kind of help it be a, a, a practical guide for for single parents for all of these questions that come up time and time again. So yes, there's, there's quite a there's quite a lot of things, but there's there's so many brilliant things as well, and that's what we really want the book to get across as well. This is not all gloom and gloom. This is not all, you know, life is, is going to be hard and here's how to navigate it. This is like life is going to be amazing and, you know, you, you, you are, you, you know, we're going to show you how to get there. Yeah, because, you know, I'm at the stage in my life where I do have friends who are breaking up with their partners and in some cases there are kids involved and, there's a lot to be said for following your gut and following your heart and knowing what's right and giving your kids the gift of not staying in a relationship where, you know, you're not happy there anymore and, and not showing them that as a template for what a relationship is. And, you know, I don't mean to sound glib about it. I, I think that's a that's a really huge step to take. It's really brave and there can be challenges on the other side, but there can also be real impairment. Yes, and thank you for saying that because it's such an important point. And what I always mention about my own personal experience is, you know, a, a term that I really have an issue with is broken home. You know, the term broken home being used to describe single parent families. You know, I think it is such a horrible term to to throw out. And, you know, what was, you know, had had had, you know, my relationship gone on, that would have been a broken home for, for my son because it wasn't a healthy, happy situation. So, you know, now I feel like my son has two homes where he is so loved and, you know, I've created this, you know, home and life for him that feels like our sanctuary. I'm so proud of it and I'm so proud of also, you know, teaching teaching him, you know, that relationship should be healthy and, you know, and, and, and hopefully, you know, kids learn, kids learn through our behaviours, obviously. And, you know, so it's, 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 it's really important. So I think, you know, this, this whole, you know, thing of staying together for the kids can be a very destructive um, thing to cling on to because I think some relationships, you know, are some some parents are better apart and just focusing on doing the absolute best job they can do as you know parents or hopefully you know co-parents um, for their children instead of being in a in a relationship that just creates you know an unhealthy dynamic in the home. Well, I absolutely love that. The book is called How to Be a Happy Single Parent. It's by Rebecca Cox and Zoe Desmond. And Zoe Desmond, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. So that's it for Live and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer Eva Breen, to Hugo De Silva Scott, who was on sound. And thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna, Sunday morning at 8 on News Talk.